Hey everyone, Happy New Year, um, good afternoon, I hope you guys are all doing well. Definitely feels weird to be recording this sermon today, knowing that you guys are going to be watching it at the Trinity Space this afternoon. And I really wish I was with you, I wish I knew what had been shared and what had been happening in the meeting so far. But sadly yesterday when I was finishing up prep for this message, I got a call from a friend, we did a wedding together on Wednesday and Thursday last week, and he had tested positive for COVID. So that means uh, we've gone for a test today, we're trusting that it'll come back negative. But we are isolating for now and I'm really, really sad to not be in person with you, particularly for this, the first Sunday gathering of Harvest City in 2022. And if you know me and uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that I love the start of a new year. It just feels fresh. It feels like there's excitement. It feels like there's opportunity and a blank slate and possibility for what is to come. And I think in 2022, maybe more than in many years that have been before, you know, we're through 2020, we're through 2021. It feels like this COVID thing is starting to fade away. Hopefully I'm not speaking too soon, but it feels like this could be a year where things start to normalize and where we don't have life lockdowns and we aren't separated and I can definitely understand the irony of me saying this while I'm isolated at home waiting for a result but it does feel like things are changing and after maybe the cynical tiredness at the end of 2021 I hope there's an unspoiled positivity in you as we start this year and an excitement for your life and for this church about what God is doing. And we do have an exciting year ahead as Harbour City. I'm sure all of you or most of you know this, but I only have a few weeks left leading Harbour City Church. And our plan is to hand over to Jamie and Lisa Tennant on the 6th of February, which is in just under a month's time, which is so, so crazy. So I'm feeling all the feels, feeling very sentimental at the moment about the last eight and a half years, about the time I've got left leading and about the future of Harbour City Church. And we're really looking forward to see what God does. We're really looking forward to see how he uses Jamie and Lise to lead into this new season. I know that they are full of energy and excitement and vision to lead and to actually just be a blessing to this community. And I hope that each and every one of you will be praying, praying for Harbor City, praying for Jamie and Lise, praying for Shell and I, and also praying and saying, God, what are you saying to me right now? What does this change mean for me? What, what do you want from me? What is my role to play in the season? And how can I add momentum to Harbor City and to what you are doing in her? Would you use me at this time, Lord? But really also part of what I'm saying means that I only have four sermons left as the leader of this church. And I know we'll be back hopefully every year to visit and preach going into the future. But because of the time I've got left, I've been praying and I've been prepping and I've been asking the Lord and saying, would you give me four messages? And this is one of those four. Would you give me four messages to share with Harbor City that would strengthen and encourage the church as we go into the future? And I'm quite sentimental, so I'm feeling this in a big way and I'm taking this very seriously. And I'm asking God to use me at this time and just trusting that the messages I bring will either be reminders or deposits into the foundation and the future of this church that will help to take you guys forward. Now, I don't want to go down a huge nature versus uh, nurture rabbit hole now, even though I find this kind of thing so interesting. But my daughter, August, is 22 months old. The end of next month, she'll turn two, which is just a crazy thing to think about. 
And what's nuts is just watching this little person grow up in front of your eyes. If I was there, I would know if this is the case, but we've had a few new babies born into Harbor City over the last month. I don't know if any of them are sitting at the back right now, but these little babies are going to grow up to be people. And what I've seen with August is she's got a strong personality already. We're getting to know what she's like. We think she's got a pretty good sense of humor. She's like her mom and dad. She's got a bit of stubbornness to her and she knows what she wants. So we took her for her first ice cream a few weeks ago at Scoop just off Florida Road. We tried to get her to have vanilla. She went, mm. no, she didn't want that. She pointed at the chocolate one. That's what she wanted. She didn't need to taste anything else. That's what she was going with. So we're seeing more and more what she's like. We think she's quite empathetic, that she can read people and moments and understand how people are feeling. And recently we had such a strange experience. We were at the pool around Christmas time with some family and as we were leaving, some new people came in and their kids ran past August. And it's like something came over her. Her eyes changed, a fire lit in her belly and she just sprinted after them. She wasn't scared. It looked like she wanted to win this impromptu race that was going on so as I saw this happen I thought that's a new side of my daughter I haven't seen before maybe this is the origin story of an Olympic runner although knowing my genes and shells I don't think that's true but everything I've just mentioned is about nature that is just who August is as a person but Shell and I are also obviously nurturing her and caring her, caring for her and raising her and training her in certain ways you know based around what we love and value and prioritize as a family we value books, so we've been reading to her. We want her to follow Jesus, so we've been speaking to her about him and praying with her and reading the Bible with her. We love food, so we include August when we cook. And Shell has been so good about introducing August to different flavors and tastes as we prepare things and as we eat. We have been dressing her in clothes and colors and styles that we like and think are cool. And maybe most importantly, on top of all of this, she is being shaped by our personalities. She's being shaped by our priorities, the, the culture of our home and the values of our family. All of that is nurturing her to become a certain kind of person. And I say all of that because when God births a church, he births it with a unique personality and identity and purpose. He, he gives each church, like each person, some uniqueness to them. We see that in Revelation 2 and 3. The churches in Asia Minor, all seven of them in Ephesians, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, are different. The messages that they receive from the Holy Spirit are different because their needs are different, because their situation is different, because their, their calling is different. We see that in the book of Acts with the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch. The first two churches planted are very, very different. Different calls, different purposes, different makeup, different gifting, but used by God for his will to be done. And churches are the same. All nine of those churches are the same thing. They're all churches. They all have the purpose of a church, but God has uniquely designed them on top of that for his purpose and plans. And it is the same with Harbor City. And I'm hoping over the next while that what I share and what God is doing here will help to nurture you as you go into the season that is ahead. If you're new here, you would have never heard me share this before. But if you've been around, I'm sure that Acts 14 verse 21 has come up. Because this is one of the foundation verses for us as a church. And it says, they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Those two words, gospel and disciple, are in the DNA and the foundations of who we are as a church. And over the next two weeks, this week and next week, 
That's what I want to talk about. Today we're going to be talking about the gospel and as a church we want to be shaped and centered on the good news of God. And next week we're going to be talking about discipleship. And we want to be a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. A church who knows Jesus and makes Jesus known. A church who is following Jesus and helping others to follow him too. That's what those two things are about. So if you've got a Bible with you, can I ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. And if you are new to church, if you're exploring Christianity, if you're here today because this is a New Year's resolution thing and you want to say, does Jesus have anything to offer me? I think today's message is going to be so relevant to you about what Christianity and life is about and what the message of the church is. So please open your heart and your ears to what I've got to share. But as we read through 1 John 1, I would love it if each of you asked this question, if this was going through your head as we read through this. What is the gospel and what does this mean for me? What is the gospel and what does this mean for me? So let's read it. 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John is one of the most incredible books in the Bible. It's worth reading through and this chapter is so full of truth. But really, the big idea that I see and that I want to touch on today uh, comes from a quote by a man named Ray Ortland. He said, gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. The uh, doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace. And that's what we see in the flow of 1 John chapter 1. In the first half, the first few verses, we see something of what his disciples have experienced and seen in Christ. They've been with him. They've heard his message. They've touched him. They know him. They've spent time with him. They know who Jesus is is and in the second half what what uh, responding to his message what following him looks like it's it's changed them it's changed their community it's shaped them in a specific way gospel doctrine right believing leads to gospel culture right living so let's start with the first part what is the gospel quote i love and that i've shared in this church before from john tyson reads, the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. As you hear that quote, and you might need to go through that a few times to fully take it in. 
But as you hear that quote, one of the things that jumps out at me is that God is mentioned a lot and that we're not mentioned much. So what God does is mentioned a lot. That's kind of the profound big picture there. And what we do is not really mentioned at all. It's like as Tim Keller famously said, the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's about what has been done for us by God, not about what we need to do to please God and make ourselves right with God. And that is key to the understanding the gospel and not distorting it. Galatians 1 verse 6, written by Paul the Apostle, says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Take that in for just a second. Paul is saying that he's astonished and not in a good way. He is shocked at what the Galatian Christians are doing. He's saying, what he's saying here is that actually the gospel, the good news of God, is not just an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a way of life. It's not a mantra. It's not good advice. The gospel is a person and his name is Jesus. That God is the gospel, that Jesus is our good news and message, and that the church in Galatia who started so well in knowing and following him have deserted him to follow something else. How sad. They knew God. They had the best news in the world. They'd started with Jesus. But over time, and actually in their situation, Paul says it happened quickly. This wasn't a gradual drift and float to something else. Actually, in their situation, quickly they turned from Jesus to something else, which could happen to you or I. They've turned from him to a different gospel, a new priority and focus and hope. They've turned from him to other things. And Paul is astonished by this, and we should be too. And this is a reminder and a warning to us in this room at the start of the year. Whether you're new to Jesus and your heart is burning with love and passion for him and what he's done, or whether you've been in church for a long time and you've seen some stuff and you've got some stories, you've walked with him for a long time, Galatians 1 gives us a warning and a reminder, and it teaches us that Christians can easily desert Jesus and turn to other gospels. Here a whole church, the whole of the Galatian church has done just that, and it's happened quickly. Which means that we need to take stock occasionally and be honest with ourselves and ask, where am I at with Jesus? What a good question for you to ask someone over a meal, maybe your spouse, your roommate, a friend who knows you well and is mature in their faith, just to say, hey, where are you at with Jesus? I want, to, I want to debrief where I'm at. I would love your input. I'd love your help. Answer questions like, where is my hope? What is good news to me? Where do I find joy and salvation and life? Where do I find identity and meaning and purpose? Is it in Jesus? Or what is the gospel that I am believing in and living out of? As we enter into a new year, Harbor City, as we go into a new chapter as a church, as you deal with the things that you're dealing with, maybe change and challenges that are coming at the start of this year, don't desert Jesus and don't turn to another gospel. But how do we keep his beauty fresh in our minds and in our hearts? How do we avoid deserting him quickly as the Galatians do? Maybe three things. Read the gospels. Firstly, read the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the first uh, books in the New Testament, the, the biographies of Jesus' life from four men who knew him really, really well. If you are going through a period of doubt or struggling in your faith or deconstructing right now or thinking through what the core of Christianity is, come and look at Jesus' life 
and ministry and the way he treated people and what he taught and the miracles and healings and his life and priorities. Come and look at Jesus and see what he is all about. Spend some time with him. Take a fresh look and ask him even to reveal himself to you more. Secondly, spend some time in his presence in prayer and worship. If you're not a Christian, maybe that sounds strange to you, but maybe you could just pray a simple prayer of Jesus, show yourself to me. But for us, the reality is if we want to build a relationship with someone, we spend time with them. It's the same with Jesus. If we want to know him and enjoy him and love him, we need to build that relationship as we spend time in his presence in prayer and in worship. And thirdly, If you find yourself in the place of the Galatians in chapter 1 verse 6, where you started with Jesus but have drifted to something else, today could be a moment of repentance for you, where you say, I see now that I've drifted and I want to come back to you. So come to him and turn. I don't know where you've turned to, what you've put your hope in, what you've put your trust in. could be the gospel of self-improvement, the gospel of family, the gospel of a big house, the gospel of cryptocurrency or Netflix, the gospel of comfort, of approval, of power or success or pleasure or something else. But wherever you have turned, turn back to Jesus, come back to him and follow him. One writer said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus equals nothing. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Jesus Christ alone is our good news. And as we start a new year, as we go into 2022, maybe the best year some of us have had in a long time, what better goal to set, what better reminder to give ourselves, what better decision to make or pursuit to enter into than to know Jesus better for ourselves. The second part of 1 John 1 is about gospel culture. Galatians 1 verse 6 has taught us that Jesus is the gospel, but also we see in the scriptures that Jesus isn't just the doorway, the entrance into Christianity and this new life with God. Actually, Jesus is both the doorway and he's the road. He's the journey. He is the path. John 14 verse 6 says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything in this journey. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Cephas is Peter the Apostle, one of Jesus' closest followers. For before certain men came from James, another apostle, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step, With the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and do not live like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What hit me a while ago reading this passage was that phrase, Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Gospel doctrine leads to gospel culture. What we believe leads to how we live and what we do. But when we take our eyes off Jesus and focus on something else, when we desert him for another gospel, what happens is we start to walk a different way. We start to live a different way. We start to prioritize different things and we end up living a different kind of life. Peter in Galatians 2 has deserted Jesus and trusted in another gospel. He finds himself focused on what people think of him. He's deserted Jesus for the gospel of approval. 
He wants to be liked by people, which it's hard to blame him for. Don't we all want that? I know I find myself in a bunch of times in a situation like that where I know the right thing to do. I, I know what I should do. My conscience is telling me what to do. But I know if I do it in front of this group of people with this predominant view, they're all going to think a certain thing of me. It's where Peter found himself in that moment. He was scared that the Jewish leaders would think less of him because of who he was associating with. So he decided to leave the Gentiles and come and sit with the Jews because the approval of man meant more to him in that moment than the approval of God. He was living out of step with the truth of the gospel. And what we see here is that everything is a gospel issue. Every single thing we do is a gospel issue. Let's look at a few more examples before we end. What about sexual purity? This isn't something we've spoken about in a while, but this is something that often is spoken about badly in the church and leads to feelings of shame and guilt. I promise you I'm not going to try and do that today. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee sexual immorality. What does that mean? It means run. Run for your life from sexual sin, which is a very different message from the message we hear in our culture, on TV, social media, music, the radio, whatever it might be. Our culture will say that the Bible is outdated. Some things the Bible's great. You know, our culture will say, actually, the Bible in terms of loving our neighbor, brilliant. We affirm that. The golden rule, we affirm that. You guys want to serve the poor, brilliant. We applaud you guys. But you're a little bit old-fashioned, a little bit dark ages when it comes to human sexuality. Come on, guys. Don't you know that sex is just biology? Sex is just an appetite. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're aroused, you have sex. It's just an appetite. It's fun for adults. But actually what the scriptures teach us is that sex is more than just biology. Sex is more than just a release or an outlet. Actually what the Bible teaches us is that God has created man and woman in his image and he's given us sex as a gift to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage. He knows what is best for us and he knows what will hurt us because God is the great designer. He knows what things are designed for and what they are not designed for. But as I speak about this today, what is our motivation to be sexually pure and to obey God rather than follow the way of our culture? Is it fear? Are we scared that you know, if we do some stuff, maybe we're going to go to hell for doing the wrong thing. If we, if we do the wrong thing, we'll be in trouble with God. What, what about if we do the wrong thing, maybe we'll have a baby or get an STD. Or maybe it's just that actually I've always prided myself on being a virgin to marriage. Is that the motivation we should have for not committing sexual immorality? Why be sexually pure? Well, the answer is here. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Harbor City, Jesus' body was broken and destroyed for you and I on the cross. He honored and obeyed God to the point of death by giving up his body so that you and I could be reconciled to our Father in heaven. Jesus gave his body for you and for me as an act of worship for God. And he didn't give up his body so that you and I can go whatever we want to do with ours. He didn't give up his body so that we can just go and give our body to anyone we want to sexually know. Jesus gave his body for us so that you and I could know God and live for him fully in our lives. Your body belongs to Jesus. He's bought it with a price. He paid for it with his own blood. You belong to him. So honor him with your body. 
and Harbour City, if I can say this, don't ever believe the lie that sex is better than Jesus. Don't believe the lie. The reality is, is all pleasure, all good things, all satisfaction, all delight is a gift from God to be enjoyed that points us to the ultimate and true satisfaction that is found in Him alone. The reality is so many of the things that we want give us a short-term satisfaction and it's a good thing. But it's not so that we would pursue that thing more. It's so that our eyes would bounce from that thing to God and know that He is the one that satisfies. Don't be caught up in a lie that sex is better than Jesus because it's not. It's a gift from God. It's a good thing. But it's not an ultimate thing. Our sexuality is a gospel issue. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't defile the temple of God with things that are unworthy of the glory of God. What about conflict and forgiveness? Now we've just been through Christmas, which means family members being together. So I'm sure some of you have had some conflict over the last while. Actually, we are people who are called to forgive others. But what is the motivation for our forgiveness? Why do we forgive someone who has wronged us? Well, the scriptures say this, Ephesians 4 verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is a gospel issue. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. The idea here is that as we are impacted by the gospel, we come into God's family, we're adopted as His children, we take on a new identity and we take on the family way. So we imitate our Father in heaven. So what that means is when someone sins against us, betrays us, lets us down, disappoints us, we are willing to forgive them, not because they deserve it, but why? Because our Father in heaven forgave us when we sinned against Him. We forgive others because He has forgiven us. Yes, forgiveness is costly. Maybe the forgiveness that you need to practice is really, really hard because of the way that you've been hurt. But Jesus has set us an example of costly forgiveness by dying on the cross in our place so that we can be reconciled to God. What about money? We're living through tough economic times right now. I'm sure some of you are stretched financially, are in debt, are asking God for help financially. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, some of us might be stuck in the love of money, in envy. Some of us might be stuck in coveting where we look at other people's stuff and say, I need that. We're dissatisfied with our lives because we don't have what they have. But the scriptures tell us to be content where we are, whether we're rich or poor, and to be content in Him. Now, you might never be rich. And some of you might have been taught false things by false teachers, prosperity preachers, whatever it is, that God wants you to be rich. It's just not true. Just look at Jesus. He was never rich. But whether you are rich or not in this life, that's okay, because the scriptures say you have him and he is enough. You could become really rich and have everything taken away from you. And that's okay, because he is enough and he can never be taken away from you. How we engage with money is a gospel issue. And we could go on. We could talk about work and marriage and singleness and generosity and race and prejudice and our words and speech and all of those things. All of them are gospel issues. But in 1 John chapter 1, we find something different, which I think is so beautiful and so good for us as we end, uh, enter into this year. 1 John 1 speaks of a very specific 
grace-saturated way of living in Christian community that the gospel produces. Like I said, gospel doctrine, right believing, leads to gospel culture, right living. And it says in 1 John 1 verse 7, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So let's break that down for a few minutes. If we walk in the light, it's not a guarantee, it's got to be a choice to do. But walking in the light means being honest with God and with one another, especially as God convicts our hearts about certain sins and things we might be doing. We can and sometimes do lie to ourselves about where we're at, where we are with our sin, where we are with certain things, rather than coming to God and confessing and repenting and asking for our help. And sometimes what can happen is that sin inside of our hearts, the stuff that we're doing, we can just get comfortable in it for a long, long time. But God wants to shake us up out of that so that we can live in freedom and live in the light. What we can sometimes do is we can make excuses for us and, and we can kind of shift blame. And what uh, is going on here, what John is writing, he's saying that is living in darkness. That's hanging back in the shadows of denial and like evading God, hiding away from God to do the things that we want to do. But our hearts will start to come alive when we step from the shadows into the light, when we respond to what God has already done in us, when we confess our sin, when we repent of our sin, when we turn from it, and when we call sin what God calls sin, our hearts come alive and we feel free. Walking in the light means we no longer need to pretend that we are what we aren't really. Just like Peter did. Peter ran away from what he was doing. He pretended he was something he wasn't because he wanted the approval of people. But when we have the approval of the Father in heaven, we don't need to do that. Next it says, as he himself is in the light. And that is the place that God lives. God himself is always in the light. And that means that he's not hard to find. We always know where God is. God is always waiting for us on the other side of our confession and humility and openness and honesty. Now, if we are living out our lives in hiddenness, we cannot experience God. This verse is telling us that we can come to God at any time. You know, out there in the light of truth and sincerity, that's the place that we let our God down and we see him face to face. In the light, we see who he is and we see who we really are. And we step into the light, two things happen. These are incredible. Firstly, we discover fellowship with him and with one another. And secondly, his blood washes us clean from our sins. It's amazing that we can have fellowship with one another as we confess our sins and live in the light. So we're honest about who we are and where we're really at. It's quite an amazing thing how we discover each other at a different level as we let down the walls that have been protecting us. Have you had that before when you come to someone and maybe you're feeling really heavy about something you've done or a decision you need to make or something you need to say, but it just, ugh, you know, there's sin and shame and guilt around it. And they just come out and share their struggles. They come to you and they say, this has been so hard for me. I sinned in this way. I'm bringing it before God. And all of a sudden you feel light because they're confessing. You realize, wow, they are free because they're living in the light. And you bring your stuff into the light with them. And actually you find forgiveness for your sins and freedom in intimacy with them. It's quite an amazing thing as we confess our sins as people. What it does is it brings us together. We see that actually these sinners, sinners just like us, 
are such amazing people as we sit at the foot of the cross. Not uh, continuing in our sin, but fighting our sin and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The reality is that vulnerability builds intimacy. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Real church is, of course, community and its support and its care and its encouragement and its service and its ministry. But really at the heart is the sacred blood of Jesus. And we're going to take communion in just a little bit. And we're going to celebrate what the blood of Jesus means. But as we bring our sin into the light, actually what this passage tells us is that he cleanses us from all sin. Not just the simple sins, not just the small sins, all sin. We can bring everything into the light. We can bring everything to him. And that particular sin, which might be on your mind right now, which you know the Spirit of God is highlighting and maybe you're feeling like a little bit anxious about, nervous about, because you know God is speaking to you about doing something in response to this message. That sin is a sin that Jesus bled and died for. And more than that, that is the point in your existence right now where He loves you the most tenderly because He wants to bring His change and salvation and light into that space. So really, this passage encourages us to take a step into the light as the Spirit nudges us. To confess that sin to God in prayer. To confess it to people around us that we know and love and trust. And then to take the next step after that and the next step and the next step and walking with God in the light. There's actually a big price that we need to pay for that. But it's not really that costly. It's just putting away our pride and admitting the truth that we need God we struggle with sin, that we need forgiveness, that we need help, admitting that truth, putting away our pride. For some of us, that's a really, really hard thing. I've been amazed at the pride in people's hearts sometimes as I counsel and pastor them. And at the same time, I think maybe I'm more proud than anyone else. So aware of the pride in me, the self-protection in me. But the gospel saves us and it brings us into the most beautiful form of human community imaginable, where we can be real and honest, where we don't need to pretend, where we can confess our sins and struggles to one another without fear of how people respond, where we can live free. Why? As Brennan Manning, the writer, said, God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. Let me say that again. God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. Do you believe that? Can I ask the band to come up for a second? Definitely feels weird to be asking the band to come up from the screen. But as they come up right now, I would like to ask everyone in the congregation just to look around at the people in this room today. Because those people around you have got stuff. That's actually what 1 John 1 says. All of us are sinners. All of us need to repent. All of us have got stuff that we need to bring into the light. No one in this room is as they should be, but still they are loved by God. And as we take communion in a little bit, Jamie's going to come up and he's going to lead us in that. And I'm sure it'll be brilliant. But as I end this message today, I'd love you to think about something now. And as you go into the week, and it's, it's these two points. Firstly, would you consider Jesus? who he is and what he's done. He is the gospel. He is the core of who we are as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as disciples, and who we are as a church. And then secondly, what does walking in line with the truth of the gospel look like for you right now? Is there anything you need to bring into the light? Is there anything you need to turn from and come back to Jesus in? Consider those things.
I wish I'd been with you guys today. Love you so much. Enjoy the rest of the service.